You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simont. I'm a game study scholar from Germany, and you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. It feels a little bit strange because I am alone at the moment, but I am not alone for long because in just a second, I'm going to be joined by Richard Mertens to talk about Thymesia, a game that tries to step in the huge footsteps of Bloodborne and other Soulsborne titles. And whether it manages to accomplish that or not is the big question that we're going to answer in just a second. But before we go into that, let me briefly remind you that Studying Pixels is, of course, entirely free, but we need financial support to keep the mics on. And if you would like to help us in doing that, then you can join Studying Pixels Plus, where you will get all of our episodes entirely without advertisements, a lovely sticker, and monthly plus episodes. Sometimes these plus episodes are deep dives into video game culture, and other times they are deep dives into academic life, into tips on studying, tips on writing a term paper or a bachelor's thesis. There's a lot of interesting stuff there. And if you're curious and want to check it out, then you can go to studyingpixels.com plus to find out more. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Today we're going to review a game that entirely snuck up on me. It's called Thymesia. And I'm not going to do that alone, of course, because here with me now is Richard Mertens, who usually edits our show, but once in a while pops on air to share his very precious video game impressions. Hi, Richard. How are you doing? Ah, hey, Devon. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome, especially because you've brought something along. Well, first of all, you've received something, which is a review code for Thymesia, because, yes, we have to mention that as a disclaimer up top that we got the game roughly two weeks before its release. And that's why we're also recording this before the game actually comes out and before all of the other reviews are done. But you finished it already. And I was wondering, what was it that drew your attention to Thymesia to begin with? Yeah, yeah. I was lucky enough to sit down with it and I got to kind of focus in with no distractions. It's a game I had been following on Twitter for quite a while because that's a great place to find indie games that are coming out. And there's just this aesthetic to it. Maybe it was the Plague Doctor, even just the title screen. 
you know, the font is all mysterious and it's got the plague doctor and these these shades of green. But then when you're scrolling through like the feed on Twitter, you'll see any gameplay. And I was immediately hooked on it. It seems so fast. I was so lucky to sit down with it and it definitely lived up to expectations. When it comes to expectations, then me not having played the game, right? I'm just probing you for your impressions. Then my first thought when I saw Thymesia was it's basically a spiritual successor to Bloodborne. It attempts to be at least. I would say there's, it's certainly Soulsborne, not to take away from the experience that is the game itself. It certainly has Soulsborne inspiration. And if we're looking at all of the games in that series, I would say it's closer to Bloodborne, both in the aesthetics of kind of this grim world that you're working through in these tight corridors and sort of a mix between castle and like village settings, but also the movement, the way you kind of dash around and you feel so light and moving around is fun, kind of in the way Bloodborne is with the sidestepping. And that was my first impression was that the movement and sort of the dodge mechanics, those felt very similar, very familiar to me. Yeah, movement and dodge mechanics, I've heard about them that there's actually no stamina meter, which is <laughs> something that really, I watched a preview, an IGN preview, and they pointed this out. And I looked at the combat and just found like it looks so similar to what you would see when you, let's say you turn the interface off and you look at Bloodborne and then you look at Thymesia. It's fairly similar in the way that it flows and moves from the way it looks. But obviously when you don't have a stamina meter and the stamina management is not necessary then like you basically crank up the speed because you don't have to take these breaks between movements anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And the game does compensate. So you're not able to just wail on people until they're dead and catch them in like a stun lock or anything like that. It made me really appreciate the stamina bar in a way I never had before because when you're not limited by like planning and your like dodges don't take stamina and your attacks don't take stamina, the enemies can't stagger as long as they would if the game knows your stamina is going to run out. So the enemies will be able to start attack animations before you're done hitting them, which is, you know, you want to hit them forever. So they'll be able to kind of start their next attack animation and you have to watch those cues and get out of the way. But it's so easy to get caught up in just mashing the button, to keep wailing on them and wailing on them. It feels a little dirty at first because you're like, oh man, I was hitting that guy and he just was able to hit me with a big sword. That's not fair. But then when you realize that the alternative is you can just hit him until he's completely dead. And it's important to watch those minor cues as opposed to just getting fixated on your own sword and your own like attack specials. You have to be very careful not to get caught with those. You as a person who has played these Soulsborne games quite extensively, did you find it to be a learning curve to get into Thymesia? Yeah, I actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to take it very slow because it felt very familiar because I had played those other games. So I was able to just kind of breeze through. But then they started introducing a lot of mechanics that I'd never seen before that were totally brand new. And when I started learning those, I realized it was going to be a lot different because there's a lot of mechanics to interrupt attack cycles and sort of cues that you can loop around as opposed to Bloodborne, which is a lot of just kind of get out of the way, hit them, get out of the way, hit them. There's ways to like throw projectiles to stop these big attacks. There's a mechanic where you wear down their shield and then you have another attack that does health damage. And that was something I totally was un unexpected for. I kept hitting him with my sword and I was like, this he's not, he's not dying. I don't know what's happening here. But then when you sort of figure out all the mechanics, you're like, oh, there's so much more under the surface. Like it may look the same, but it feels very different once you once you get going. Ah, oh, that's very interesting because it sets it apart a little bit from its inspiration. And I think this is very important since when I, for example, you see a thing like the iconic death screen, 
or when you slay a boss. And it seems to me like it's almost identical in Famicia to what you would expect in a Soulsborne game. And I thought like, my, my, like how close do they, can they get? <laughs> I promise I'm going to let go of that particular comparison in a moment. Because I don't think that the game should just be evaluated in accordance to is it as good as Bloodborne? Because obviously it has its own qualities. But I'm just wondering, to which degree is it actually like ripping off a game like Bloodborne? That's interesting. That's that's a good way to... Because obviously there's Eileen, who is the crow hunter in the Bloodborne. crow hunter. Or the, the hunter of hunters, I believe, is her title in, in Bloodborne. So that's like very obvious, like crow plague doctor imagery. Ah, now I know who you mean by the crow. Yes. Okay. Yeah. She's like a story relevant NPC you meet in Yanam. And I think she was a fan favorite right away. So there's that imagery, which seems a little obvious. And then, of course, like the setting seems very familiar, even though I think Bloodborne is based in a time a little bit later. I would say the idea of copying falls apart pretty quick. There is kind of a hub world. There certainly is this like Victorian aesthetic that comes around. But you stop kind of hanging out in those familiar places pretty quickly. So the hub world is, I don't know what the word would be. It's like a castle, but also like a villa. This big structure that's the home world. And then you are visiting dreams. So there is also the dream mechanic <laughs> that I forgot to mention <laughs> when I was <laughs> listing it. Now, now it's starting to make more sense. But you don't keep going back to the same like city. You're not going to Yarnum and, and going through these streets right away. I think the first off-world is a circus. And then the next one is like a royal library that has like a foot of blood in it. It's pretty quick to leave the familiar imagery. Maybe to its credit, maybe this is a compliment. All the worlds could exist in Bloodborne and they wouldn't seem strange. I can imagine that. I'm just struck by you casually throwing in there that there's a dream <laughs> mechanic. Maybe I first need to find out a little bit about the protagonist and about what the game is actually about. Sure. So maybe dream mechanic's not quite fair because it's revisiting memories. So someone is helping you through a dream recalling these memories. I think I think is sort of the setup for it. Essentially, you got hurt real bad and you forgot a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, that's kind of like the setup for it and you're revisiting your memories, it's kind of interesting because the game itself takes place in the present, but the gameplay is all in the past. It's all you reliving your memories, which I think is kind of an interesting mechanic there. Story is pretty light. It's one of those games where you find it through like journals and books and things. But essentially, there's a really bad plague that took over the world, un unlike other Soulsborne games, <laughs> like Bloodborne. <laughs> I may have spoken too soon, but <laughs> there's a plague. And a bunch of alchemists are trying to fix it. I think your character had the recipe to fix it, but then he got hurt and forgot everything. So he has to go back and revisit these worlds. So you're basically restoring yourself in order to restore the world. Yeah, yeah. You're getting ingredients from every level and you're kind of piecing the puzzle together. And I just really like the idea that even when you finish, you've gone through this whole thing. You kind of come back to this like sleepy little courtyard where there's this hub character who's like, hey, was that was that how it happened? You know, like, you want to move on to the next memory? You want to see if you can find something else? Because it almost adds, like, this believableness to going back and forth. So there's not as much need to combine everything because everything's its own isolated memory. So there doesn't really have to be a ton of connection between this world and this world because it's all backtracking. And so you kind of gradually get an understanding of what has happened to the world and what has happened to the protagonist, I assume. That is explained pretty early, I think think if i'm understanding it correctly i don't think this is a spoiler but it's one of those situations where you fight a boss and then the boss uh he gets you <laughs> yeah just like 
<laughs> I mean, I think it's hard to make a game that is a Souls born without copying those elements because they did it so well. <laughs> exactly. I think that's what's so crucial about it. It's that Souls born, it legitimately spawned its own genre title. And it does so by combining various elements that existed before in other games and in other genres in a particular fashion. And now, of course, there are other games that are coming in and they have been doing so for the last couple of years that take these kind of ingredients and try to mix them in different ways, apply different art styles, apply different combat mechanics, different logics, different stories. And I think it is perfectly viable to do so since these things are basically a complement to what from software has accomplished, you know? I mean, what's better than basically when someone produces, let's say, spiritual spin-offs and spiritual successes to your work? But the concern that I have in such a scenario is always whether it feels like fan fiction, basically. Like, it's not quite what it could be, you know? I think the game might run into that a lot. It has very Bloodborne aesthetics. Like, it, it looks a lot like that world. But once you kind of get into playing it, it reminded me of more like Darksiders. If you've ever played that, it's kind of, I wouldn't call it Soulsborne. I'm not sure it would be like a third person action RPG, I suppose, that is pre-Soulsborne. In Darksiders, you also, especially in the more recent Darksiders titles, like Darksiders 2, I think, was it, where you played Death and where you had like these very quick combat encounters and various weapons that you cycle through. That certainly feels closer for me. I, I definitely, it's never lets go of like the Soulsborne ideology, but it feels like you're adding more. And there's like a skill tree, which isn't something that you would find in a Soulsborne. But something I thought was very, very interesting is that the skill tree diverges. And I thought that was so cool. So every playthrough is its own unique experience. You can upgrade stuff, but then specifically the dash, like the, the dodge mechanic, because that's something you're going to be using constantly. You can choose to either have two dashes in a row or like one longer dash. And when you pick one, you don't get to pick the other one. You're locked into that gameplay and that play style. And the game keeps reminding you, just because it knows how big of a deal, it keeps saying, hey, you can reset all your stats and do it again if you want. Ah, so you can reset at any given point. I think you need a specific item to do that, but it does remind you. It's like always an option on the menu. It's like, hey, just so you know, if you wanted to try again, because there is something kind of scary to seeing all these mechanics you missed out on. You could be having this playstyle, but you chose this one. It's nice to be able to see those and then be reminded like, hey, just so you know, you could change your playstyle if you wanted. But for me, I think I lucked out. I made all the right choices for the way I play. Uh, so you didn't cycle through much, but instead you kind of found your own thing and accumulated the skills that you usually would use in such a game and they work <laughs> together very well. Well, it got to a point where the game was not very forgiving. Um, it does have uh, some tough some tough parts to it. So it got to a point where I had been using this playstyle for so long, I figured I'd be better off to perfect it as opposed to trying something totally brand new. But it was always inviting to think about trying something new, if that makes sense. If I wanted to change everything, I could. I never felt the need to, but it was a nice reminder. I always find that super convenient. It makes the choice of which skills to pick a lot easier for me if I know that I can also make a different choice at a later point <laughs> or change my mind at a later point. Whereas if I'm locked into a certain path, 
then I know that if I ever want to try out a different build, I need to start over the game. Or maybe there's only like one single time where I can reset the skills. That's why I always find it neat when I have the option to redistribute my skill points. And even doing a brand new playthrough wouldn't be the most ridiculous thing to do because I was able to get through it in just under 15 hours. Okay, so that's pretty compact. So if you did have to play it again, hypothetically, or did want to try a totally different playstyle, we're not looking at Elden Ring here. <laughs> you know, it's not a situation where you got to take a week off. You can just sort of look into it and, and putz around with it. Now, I've got a couple of questions regarding the plague that you mentioned. But before we go into that, let's take a short break, shall we? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And we are back talking about our impressions, or rather, Richard, your impressions of Phimesia. And in particular, I wanted to ask you about this plague theme because we know that these games these action adventure games these souls born inspired titles love to be set in apocalyptic <laughs> worlds a terrible disaster has happened and in this case it is a plague it is an infectious disease that has happened yeah absolutely it's introduced in the first i guess just paragraph of text kind of telling you what's going on nothing too intrusive a lot of the game's story is told through journals and things we find on the ground the idea is that a lot of the bosses in the game are trying to cure the plague, from my understanding, or somehow directly related to it. And unfortunately, there's not a ton of information. I think it's just a way to kind of say, this is how the world got to this point, and we're trying to fix it. I don't know if this is a spoiler, but the ending of the game 
changes on how you go about fixing the plague. Like, so you get to decide how to go about it. And if you have all the information, you can make a more educated decision. If not, you can just randomly pick something and it'll just reflect that. So you have to make, let's say, without spoiling what it actually is, but you have to make some sort of decision that influences how the game ends. From my understanding, I played through everything. I wanted to make sure I was very thorough. But I think if you don't do that, you don't get all the materials that you would need to make that decision. If I understood it correctly, you can beat the game by just playing four levels. But I doubt that would be the ending you would want. Yeah. Or you wouldn't really get the most out of your time either. So there's a drop down. You pick a location and there's submissions that pop up as you beat them. So you play through those and you kind of think, oh, there's like remixed levels. Like this door was closed in my other playthrough, but it's open in this playthrough. And then you get to like three or four and then you fight a boss that you wouldn't have fought if you hadn't gone through that extra time. So you're basically going through these separate levels that change depending on the context in which you visit them. And then you unlock new stuff until you eventually fight bosses in those particular sections. Yeah, there's in the first section, it's a like a circus location. And I remember specifically, I saw this door that looked the same as every other door. There was no reason in my in my gamer mind that I couldn't go through that door. But then I played it and the level got kind of remixed and that door was open. So it's like, oh, okay, this leads to like this separate part of the game. So I guess also Neo kind of does that where it takes the same map and mixes it up a little bit. And that's all fun and good until you have to fight a boss (laughs) you weren't ready for. And the game is pretty tough. I'll just kind of lay it all out there. It's a pretty tough game. It expects a lot of you. And I'm not saying that for good or bad, but it's not something you can just like walk into any room and be like, I am confident I'm going to leave this room alive. You don't get that luxury. So when you fight a boss, you do at least I do, get hit pretty hard right away because you don't, you have to learn mechanics and different like movesets and things like that. But it never felt super discouraging. That's what I loved about the game. I'll I'll give that compliment right now. Yeah. Is that even when I got destroyed (laughs) by these bosses, I couldn't even comprehend. I never felt like, oh, well, this is a scam. This is cheap. This is lame. I was always like, okay, I'm going to try that one more time. And then it would happen again. And I just say, keep doing it, keep doing it. And then eventually you kind of get there because I think in some games that lean on their difficulty, because I think that's something a lot of Souls inspired games do, they see that those games are popular and hard. So they think, oh, that's why this game is fun, is because it's hard. So to play a game that is difficult, but isn't demoralizing, I always love those kinds of games. That's a really hard line to walk. I think also kudos to any developer studio that nails that kind of sensation. Making a game punishing to a degree that can frustrate you, but always keeping it fair to the degree that you know, the next time I'm going in, I might have learned something and apply my previous knowledge so that I can get better, gradually get better and eventually take down that boss. Absolutely. And there are also this element that I'm not sure if I liked or not. Um, But now that I've beaten the game, I love it. But while I was playing the game, didn't like it at all. (laughs) But they would have these like really tough enemies sprinkled into the map that look pretty similar to normal enemies. So you wouldn't know they're a tough enemy until you're fighting them. For example, there's this enemy with a spear, right? And you have this moveset, you fight him and you hit him a couple times, he dies. And then you like move a little bit further and there's another guy with a spear, you hit him once, his health bar does not move. And you go, okay, this is bad. This is a much different (laughs) game. And then, you know, he's doing double the damage that other guy did. And his health is not moving at all. And he's just in the game. There wasn't the boss intro. He doesn't have a special thing. You just are also fighting this guy. And you can choose to not engage. So all you're really giving up is like crafting items and upgrade items. If you want to say, hey, don't want to fight this guy. 
but also sometimes they have keys that either are optional or not optional. So you have incentive to fight them beyond just getting upgrades. So sometimes you'll fight tooth and nail, have to climb a ladder, go get them, climb a ladder, go get them and keep dying. And then you're like, okay, done. And there's this genuine release that I think some games don't hit. Like you said before, they're kind of walking the line of, oh, this is really hard. And then you beat them and you're like, that wasn't even satisfying. (laughs) But there is something about beating them with skill and like knowing their moves well enough and like disengaging them. And it's, it's very satisfying. That's how your perception changed, because I think if I were to encounter that in a video game, I would feel also this kind of overwhelming sense of frustration. And also, it's a little bit of maybe insidious game design to the degree that they could have told you in some way, like he could wear a silly hat, or he could have like some red aura around him or any such thing, you know, that would tell you, beware of engaging with this enemy and not doing that. It feels to me a little bit like you could have told me that game, you know? In their defense, I think he wears a cape. Ah, he does wear a cape. Like a mm. little like a little cape. Not uh, let me clarify. <laughs> <laughs> it is not super obvious. It's certainly insidious, but that's why I was saying at the time, very frustrated. Not a fan at all. <laughs> but since I played it and got through it, I was like, oh, that's like smart. It convinces you to engage in these things you might want to avoid that might be easier to avoid. And even if it is for a key, you still get something for it. You're not at any point wasting your time because it is easier to run away. (laughs) Like that's always an option. So I do think that is the way to funnel you into those situations. It keeps you consciously engaged in every encounter. And I assume it also keeps you from ever feeling overpowered. Because in theory, you could, I don't think I've explained it very well, but you have a sword and then you have a claw attack. That's more ethereal. So you wear down their shield and then you do damage to them directly with your claw attack. There does get to a point if there aren't those sort of speed bumps where you can just spam your sword on them and just hit people and then walk around and just keep hitting them. But then they introduce these sort of skill checks where they're like, let's make sure you are paying attention. (laughs) And then they beat the crap out of you and you're like, okay, I got to start paying closer attention now. It's like pop quiz on the game mechanics. That is a great way to describe it because especially with bosses, I felt like after every boss, I had to relearn how to play the game. And that's not negative. I'm not saying that in a bad way. Like it made me realize mechanics I hadn't been utilizing. Like you can interrupt an attack cycle. There's certain cues and triggers to know, okay, I can interrupt this attack and you can throw a projectile at them or you can dash at them and do like a counter. And it just makes you realize that there's so much on your plate that you don't use at all. You're not always mixing and matching. You're just kind of like doing what works for you. And then the game's like, do something else. (laughs) Then it makes you do something else. And that brings us back to the plague theme. You can take certain plague abilities from bosses, right? I read into this a little bit and... I found that plague theme so interesting because plague is like something of a a consumption of a whole area. And the destruction it leaves behind is something that you try to puzzle together much in the way that you're puzzling together your own memories, your own recollections. And at the same time, you're trying to puzzle together various different game mechanics that you learn and explore throughout the game by encountering these skill checks, these gameplay pop quizzes that pop up. So it seems to be all thematically tied around this idea of you know, fighting off a plague. And I think that's very interesting. I think the plague might have already come and gone. So I think people are currently under the plague's influence. And just to kind of loop back, you do get boss abilities, but you do have this mechanic where you can steal your enemy's special attacks and you can just have that. I think they are called plague abilities, but I don't think they're tied to the plague Really? <laughs> I don't think it's because of the plague you can do this. I think it's just just sort of the verbiage. But yeah, you can go to a boss and you can 
get that move that you hate that they do. And now you can do it to other people you hate and it all works itself out. And there is something about figuring out that's what you're doing, if that makes sense. Because you sort of forget that you're trying to cure that plague. But then as the game goes on, you realize, oh, this is like what I'm doing. And so like these bosses feel more important to me, at least, because you kind of see the results of their trying to cure the plague. So these bosses are also trying to fix everything, but they're going about it in bad, awkward, terrible ways that aren't working. And you kind of go and say, oh, this is terrible. (laughs) And you know the weight of what you're doing. You know it's not going to be easy. You see that it can go terribly wrong. That's super interesting because I would have imagined, just from what I know about video games, that the bosses would be manifestations of the plague. And I find it a very interesting twist that they are kind of also like not inherently bad guys, if I understand this correctly. Like the way you explain it, it seems like there's a morally gray area where they have good intentions yet go about it with bad means. I think that is kind of the theme. That's the theme I took away from it, because there are even monsters that you fight. Like, there are straight-up monster boss battles, but they are a result of someone trying to cure something. So it's all a result of everyone trying to cure this plague, whether they have a name attached to it or not. They're all a result of this plague and their attempt to, to fix everything. So it does make the bad guys a little more empathetic, but then they kill you 10 times and all that empathy is gone. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're mad again. <laughs> so, But it does evoke some interesting recollections of bosses I've encountered in Soulsborne games, but also in many other titles, up to things like Shadow of the Colossus. I'm not putting it on that kind of scope or on that kind of pedestal, but just the idea of fighting a boss and while fighting them, knowing that they are not inherently bad they're not a manifestation of evil as such i think it's often very powerful stuff a manifestation of being misguided because i think a lot of the time in storytelling some of the most powerful imagery is they have the same goal as the hero but they're not weighed down by like morals by any means necessary they'll do what they're trying to do and i think that is a huge dynamic shift because for the villain perspective it's like well why aren't you also doing this and for the hero perspective it's like well you're doing insane stuff it did make them more empathetic even if it was a little later when you kind of realize the context of what they're doing because you sort of see the corruption come through and it's not a terribly long game there isn't a ton of boss fights that i would consider super memorable if i fought six bosses or something something like that if there are six or seven bosses I think two of them were gimmick bosses where you had to like climb scaffolding or something or like move around and dodge these like big arenas, which didn't feel very intimate and didn't feel like they were testing your skill. You're just kind of waiting around. And I was disappointed because the game kept checking my skill to make sure I had all my stuff ready. And then they'd say, wait in the cave until all the rocks fall and now come out and hit it. (laughs) And it just felt like a misdirect. It was maybe just a way to show off cool boss designs. That's very possible. But it just didn't feel as hands-on. Nah, that's quite a shame. Especially if you have the feeling of having built yourself up for that particular encounter. And then it turns out to be a gimmick boss. Yeah, and maybe that's just me. I'm just not a fan of gimmick bosses anyway. For something that keeps testing you so much and expects so much of you and expects you to remember so much, it did feel a little cheap for me. Also, like, this is much different, but... That staggering that I mentioned before, where no one staggers, that does get very frustrating because it does seem very unfair and it does keep reminding you that it's kind of unfair. If I understand you correctly, then what you mean is that you don't have this kind of feeling where, let's say, 
in the case of a Soulsborne game, you would have a stamina meter, but everyone else also does. And if you hit them in a particular way, or if you block their attack, then they would kind of like stumble backwards and be, be staggered for a second and open for a critical hit. Yes, thank you for clarifying. I might not have explained that very well. But there are parts where you feel cheated out of hits. So they'll pull their sword up, and then you just start like hitting them with your sword and hitting them with your attacks, and they just don't care. <laughs> they just are like, okay. And they can swing all the way through it, and it's... I understand I can't just sit here and hit you all day. I totally understand that. But the idea that you just don't care that I'm attacking you, it feels cheap. It doesn't feel like they outsmarted me or I outsmarted them. It just becomes a waiting game a little bit. And you can use multiple mechanics to make it feel less like a waiting game. But there is something about using like a special move, like using one of these plague abilities you pulled from a boss or another enemy, and then summoning a giant axe and hitting them with it. And then they just don't care that you're hitting them with an axe. They're just standing there. They're like, well, I guess I'm winding up my big stab. And then they get you anyway. And then it interrupts your attack. Sometimes it even doesn't. Sometimes if you're locked into an attack animation and they hit you, you're just stuck. So you're like, well, I have two more rotations of this attack. I'll just get keep getting hit by that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really tough because it kind of also takes away of this uh, sensation of making an impact on an enemy, right? Because what you always want to see in whatever kind of game that if you land a hit, that it does something. Otherwise, it just feels like shallow. Even if you see the health bar go down, it feels shallow because you don't see this kind of visual impact. You don't feel like you're actually hitting something. Absolutely. And with a game that's so based on like speed and jumping around, if you do sort of just jump back and hit them and jump back and hit them, it feels very repetitive. It doesn't feel very fun. Everything feels very floaty and lightweight. As opposed to when you're in there making these hits that they can just attack through. And you're right, it's just not very satisfying. And it doesn't make it important. You're not making any sort of impact. I think that's where we can clearly see that Thymesia, though interesting in its thematics and interesting in this idea of, you know, combining elements of a Soulsborne game with aspects of a little bit almost like an action RPG thing, you know, leveling up your character, building up a skill system. From what you describe, it doesn't sound like it reaches that kind of level of quality that people would expect when, for example, From Software announces a new video game. In a lot of places, it felt like they made a really good game, but didn't make a game around it. So they set up all these mechanics and all these skills and everything, but everything else kind of came as an afterthought. It shines the brightest when you're fighting a boss, a human-sized boss that has a bunch of skills, you have a bunch of skills, and you're just kind of like fighting them in like this dance of different moves and strikes and things like that. That's where the game is at its peak. For me, at least, that was something I really enjoyed. But the second you're just sort of trudging and muscling through these little areas, it certainly loses its charm because they're not playing by the same rules as you are. In a boss, it feels like the boss has a little bit more the same situation where they have like these moves that charge up and everything, but just these grunts can just like do an overhead swing and you hit them four times and they're like, well, I already have it up here and they <laughs> bring it down on you. And the bosses are very cool. I'm not trying to discredit them. One of the first bosses is like a magician. So he's like teleporting around and he's throwing cards at you. It's a surprise like, oh, okay. And then you got to like learn his moves and block them all and this woman character who's like throwing these darts that explode. She has like really quick attacks and it just felt like a lot of fun doing that. But then at the end, you're like, oh, that's right. I have to like look for a book on the ground. Like that's the next <laughs> mission. I have to look for a book. And then I get all the way to the end of the level. You pick it up and it's like level's over. Okay, see you later. And you got to do that a few times until you get to where the game is really glowing. And that kind of sucks to feel like I'm grinding until I get to play the fun part. And that is never fun for me. Uh, it seems like you're a little bit torn on whether to recommend it or not. Is that correct? 
I'm not torn, I wouldn't say. I think if it looks interesting to you, I definitely recommend. I think if you listen to this trying to be convinced to like it, it's probably too late, if that makes sense. I do have all these complaints. I did think it was very fun. I'm really glad I got a chance to. But these issues are very noticeable. They're not something that you can just sort of ignore because it's the whole game. You know, you get to parts that don't feel fair. And when games don't feel fair, they're not that fun, <laughs> I think, is kind of the, the, the trade-off. Well, thank you so very much for bringing your review impressions on Thymesia. And thank you out there so very much for listening. Please feel free to submit your thoughts and questions on studyingpixels.com contact. If you want to support us and get Studying Pixels Plus, then you know that you can always get it at studyingpixels.com plus. Also, if you want to check out some visual content, then you can head over to Instagram, where Friedrich he manages our Instagram channel and always has some nice pictures that he puts out there. Please enjoy that, and we'll talk again next week. Bye-bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.